The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Well, with this heat, it certainly is an indication that summer is here. Do you have some summer plans? People usually do. Whether it's taking some kind of a trip or just taking some time off of work or maybe some other special activities you like to do during the summer, everybody has some summer plans. Well, where are you going to be spending summer? I can tell you where we're going to be spending summer in church, and that is in the Psalms. Now you might wonder, why would we spend the summer in the Psalms? Well, the Psalm, the book of Psalms is the largest book in the Bible. And you might wonder, well, what's so special about a Psalm? I like to use this definition of a Psalm. It's a prayer or a song of adoration or lament, sorrow, set to music. You see, the Psalms were the hymn book of the Bible. Now everybody likes music, right? If you think of it, music is a pretty large part of our life, not just here in church, but if you watch TV, TV shows have their music, movies have their music, commercials have their music. When you're driving in your car, more than likely, you're listening to the radio or listening to some music. And then if there's a particular tune that you really like or maybe gets stuck in your head, you have it on your mind all day long. So music is a pretty big part of our life. And that's because God wired us for sound. God put music inside of us. And so it's no surprise then that the largest book of the Bible was set to music so that God could communicate his message to us. Well, what is the message that's in the book of Psalms? Well, it's interesting as you go through the Psalms, you find that there are different seasons, that is different occasions, different topics that the Psalms talk about, all giving us different reasons why we should worship God. The Psalms were written by a variety of people from kings and prophets to farmers and peasants. And they all speak about some of the regular things that go on in our life, from triumphs to troubles, from worries to confidence, psalms that are there as prayers, some that are there with praise, and some that are there with sorrows. But also psalms that have thanksgiving. And that's what we're going to start out with our summer, Thanksgiving. And you might think, Thanksgiving in June? Wait a minute, that's what we do in November with the Thanksgiving holiday. But as this verse from the Psalms reminds us, because God's love endures forever, we should be forever giving thanks to the Lord. So let's start our summer with Thanksgiving. We're going to use as our point of study today, Psalm 97. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand, are the deep are the depths of the earth 
and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Thanksgiving. Usually at Thanksgiving, it's a time for us to gather together and we recount some of the things that maybe went on in the past year. But the psalmist here is recalling things that have been there forever. And his attention first is focused on God. So let's note things about giving thanks as the people of God. He directs our attention first to reflecting on who God is. He says, let's sing to joy for the, to the rock of our salvation. Now, I'm not sure what picture he might have had in mind when he used that word rock of salvation. What is some of the big rock formations that are there in the Middle East? Was he thinking of a rock that's out there in the ocean and maybe would be a, a place of refuge for somebody who needed to find safety? Not sure. But it's pretty clear that what he is referring to is something that is strong, that's firm, that provides a foundation, that gives us safety or confidence. It's something you can rely on. It's not something that's going to be moved or changed. When it comes to salvation, when it comes to eternal life, life after our time here on earth, people come up with different reasons why they think they will live forever. One is because they think, well, we're just good people. And that's going to be the result of our goodness, of our kindness. It's very natural, but wrong, for us to think that it's because of who we are and what we have done that we will live forever. But there's no confidence in that. Not when you look at your life and you see that you're not always good. And so the psalmist points us to the real reason, the real confidence we can have for salvation, and that is that rock who is our God. Of course, what it's referring to is Jesus Christ. One day, Jesus asked his disciples who they thought he was, and Peter makes that beautiful, bold profession you are the Christ, that is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus pointed out to him that he was blessed by that. But it wasn't something that he came up with on his own by flesh and blood, but it was revealed to him by the Father. And he says that that profession, that Christ, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, will become the rock on which he would build his church. That's why the Apostle Paul then would later write, no one can lay any other foundation than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the only foundation for salvation. And Peter later would write, as he quotes Isaiah, see, I, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen 
and precious cornerstone, and the one who, puts, who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Peter is simply reminding us that Christ is that rock of salvation and that it's in him we should trust. In doing so, Peter is reminding us that really every blessing we have is because of Christ. You see, our, our sinfulness separates us from God, disqualifies us from any kindness that God would have for us. He owes us nothing. But there is a reason we do get God's kindness and goodness. It's Jesus Christ. It's because Jesus lived perfectly that God now looks at us and sees us as perfect through our faith in him. It's because Jesus was punished for our sins that God won't punish us, but only bless us. It's because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead that you, can, you and I can have absolute confidence, a rock for salvation. And so the first thing the psalmist points our attention to is to look at God as the rock of your salvation and be thankful. Be thankful for Jesus Christ and your faith in him. But the psalmist gives us another reason to be thankful. He says, the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. He simply calls God a great God. Now, what did he mean by that? He's a great God. He's over everything. He's over everyone. He is greater than any of the false gods because those gods don't exist. In fact, there are three words that he used to describe God which brings out his greatness. The first word was that word God, which in the Hebrew is referring to power or strength. Our God is almighty, all-powerful. Nothing can stop him. He can do anything. He then referred to him as a great king. King is a ruler. He is great in that he rules over everything. Everything is done according to his plan and with his purpose in mind. And then he used the word Lord, which was in all capital letters, telling us that that was the special covenant name for God. It referred to his nature, for the word was really I am meaning that God does not change. He is constant. He is faithful. And that was the word God always used to refer to his covenant, his solemn promise to always be gracious and bless us. And so with those three words, he's showing us why he is great. All other gods that human beings come up with cannot match this God who is all-powerful, all-ruling and all-faithful and gracious. That's why he's worthy to be praised. Now he went on to demonstrate that by referring to the depths of the earth. We've been hearing about the depths of the earth in the news when we hear about that volcano in Hawaii. 
No one can stop it. All we can do is watch what happens. But God can stop it. We look at what we try to do in this planet with our construction, a picture here of road construction. You know how long that takes, right? We try to move the land a little bit, make it work like this or that, and it takes forever. But God can move it instantly. He moves all the land. He formed it with his hands. And then water, oh, so precious to us here in California. We've made all sorts of res reservoirs all over so that we could capture it for our use. And yet we are told God is the one who made the seas and he controls them for us. You see, God is the ruler over everything in this universe for us, faithfully and graciously. That's why we have a great God. So as we reflect on God, his rock of being the rock of our salvation and, and his faithfulness as a great God, the psalmist then tells us, now we ought to respond. Respond with adoration, first of all. He started out the psalm that way. He said, let us sing for joy. Let us shout aloud. Let us extol him with music and song. Worship is about lifting up God, extolling, praising how great he is. And we can do that through music and song. Worship is not about our preferences. What do I like to do? What am I going to get out of this? No, worship is about focusing on God and expressing his worth. When we do focus on God, then we're reminded too to come before him with thanksgiving. So he says, let's praise God with our mouth, but he's also reminding us to praise God with our mind. That is to have an attitude of gratitude. When he issues that invitation to come and worship, he does so with the motivation of thanksgiving, being thankful for all that God has, all that he does. You see, that's the sanctified response when you reflect on God. So coming to church is not about, what am I gonna get out of this today? But it's first, what am I going to give to God today for what he has given me? And that all originates then from the heart. So our mouth, our mind, and our heart. He urges us to have a spirit of humbleness as we worship. In verse 6, he said, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Worship is acknowledging, yes, the greatness of God, but also reflecting God's grace. That he would take all of that greatness and use it to bless me. You know, as human beings, we get awfully full of pride. We get full of ourselves, don't we? We see all the things that we do. We see all the things that we are, and we feel pretty good about ourselves. But worship reflects on how good, how great our God is and how we have been honored by him. And so we come with humbleness of heart 
to honor him. So let me ask you a question at this point. Why do you come to church? Is it because it's your habit? It's a good habit, don't break it. Do you come here because maybe there's some expectation you think you have to meet? Making sure that, you know, well, others saw me and so I won't get a call from the pastor or the elders. Or do you come here because you're looking for encouragement? And that's a good reason to come. And you will get it because we give you God's word. And we're gathered here as God's people to encourage one another in our faith. But let me ask the question in another way. What might keep you from coming to church? Is it because maybe it's boring? It's the same thing all the time? We hear the same thing? Is it too repetitious? Is it kind of empty or unfulfilling? It doesn't meet your needs? It doesn't do anything for you? Or maybe you're saying, you know, I've just got some better things to do today instead of going to church. In a recent uh, church blog that I get copied on every morning, the pastor was commenting about how church attendance in America is declining. And he said, it's so interesting why, he said, because of our affluence. That is because of how blessed we are. We have found so many other things to do to occupy our time or grab our interest that we're not so concerned about worshiping or thanking God. In fact, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? That we are so blessed, yet our response is not to give thanks the way God urges us to. But maybe sometimes people don't come to church because they don't feel they are so blessed. Remember the scripture reading we had a few minutes ago of Jesus feeding the 5,000 plus? Remember how it started out? The disciples said, you know, we don't have enough food here to feed all of these people. And Jesus gathered all of that food. And what did he do first? He gave thanks for what he had. Even though it maybe appeared inadequate, in the hands of God, it's plenty. And so we can always be reminded of how richly God provides for our needs. But maybe there is some disappointment, some frustration, some worries in your life. How can you get rid of that and find a, a joyful and thankful heart? The answer is, look to the Lord. Listen to what he promises. Look around and see how he has blessed you. And then you will be thankful. You will have that spirit of thanksgiving to God. Now in the psalm, at the end of these verses, the psalmist redirects our attention so to speak, away from God and on us. He says, he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. He's reminding us that we have been gathered together. 
And so not only are we thankful as people of God, but he also reminds us to be thankful for the people of God. Because God has gathered us together all by his grace. His spirit is the one who has called us to faith and has gathered us together as a congregation. In that congregation, God lets us see his glory and his grace. Every Thursday morning, our faculty gets together and we have a devotion at seven in the morning. And this past week, the devotion was entitled, With Profound Appreciation. It focused us on Jesus' transfiguration, that event in which he, with a few of his disciples, on that mount, in which he was transfigured, that is, his glory, full divine glory appeared. And then with him was Moses and Elijah, two of his servants. And the disciples were so moved by that. They didn't want that experience to stop. They were filled with profound appreciation for seeing the glory of God. And that's what God has gathered us here to see. His glory, his grace, to hear it in his word, to receive it in the sacrament in which we get the very price that was paid for our salvation. He has called us together by his grace for a purpose, that we would be nurtured and guided by that grace. Because it's his grace that changes lives. Our congregation has been very blessed with a team of what we call called workers. People who have been trained and who have committed with a vow to God to be faithful in serving God by bringing his word to people. But it's not just that staff of called workers that bring us God's grace. It's the army of volunteers that we have here too. From the volunteers who serve in our many children's ministries to those who work behind those walls taking this message and broadcasting it out through social media. To our teams that go and visit people in nursing homes or in their homes or in hospitals or in the prison. And I could go on and on. God has brought together a whole army of volunteers here to nurture us with God's grace and guide us in his will. This morning at the end of our service, we're going to have an opportunity to give thanks to our called workers, especially acknowledging the service, those who are now leaving us for other fields of ministry. And while it's a time when we look and recognize that we need some more workers, we can be reminded then of Jesus' encouragement to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send more workers into his harvest field. It's an encouragement for us to encourage them in their work and to show our support and our thanksgiving for what they do. So that's why today we're starting summer with Thanksgiving. No, we're not gonna have a turkey meal. We're gonna have a barbecue instead. But really before that, we gather as God's people to give him thanks. Thank, thankfulness for all the blessings that he gives us. That's how we're gonna spend our summer. 
I would encourage you to do a little bit of reading in the Psalms this summer. The topic of Thanksgiving comes up often. Here are the Psalms in which Thanksgiving is mentioned. I'm going to leave the slide up there for a while, and after the offering you can take it down. Uh, but if you want to write those numbers down and during the week, read those Psalms of Thanksgiving. Amen. Now let us respond to God's word by singing the sermon hymn. You'll find it on page 9. The words are based on the psalm that we just studied. ask you to fill out the worshipers card one side for the member the other side for the guests and the visitor after you fill it up please passing those cards to the person who sit in the diagonal aisle so that ushers could pick it up now i invite you give you your thanks and joy and hope to the lord with your offering <laughs> 